Welcome to the Phoenix Cast, a podcast about cybersecurity, technology, and innovation issues in the military. We are your hosts, John, Rich, and Kyle. Rich and I are both U.S. Marines, and the opinions expressed on the cast are those of the hosts, not official military policy. The opinions expressed by Kyle are his own, not his employer or any business he's associated with. For today's episode, we have special guest, Denise, or affectionately known by the community, Fish. Thanks for coming on the cast. Could you provide a quick intro? I am thrilled to have been asked. Uh, my name is Denise Fishburne. People call me Fish. Uh, I'm I'm old. I'm really old, John. Uh, <laughs> I've been at Cisco for 24 years and IBM for seven years before that and started off as a computer programmer. Oh, I have no idea. What else am I supposed to say about myself? Let's go on. Let's get going. Yes, get after. I mean, we'll we'll get into all the route switch goodness and uh, and all the different backgrounds. But uh, I do want to kick it over to host Kyle real quick. Uh, we have an update from last week's episode. So for those of you that tuned in last week, we did a real short take on the Twitter hack that happened last week or about two weeks ago, I guess now. Um, and just last night, uh, when you were recording this on Sunday morning, August 2nd, we saw a couple news reports come out that the FBI has officially arrested a couple people in conjunction with this. And there's an article that we're going to link in the show notes when we get this thing out from Wired, which kind of does a little in-depth expose on how they found these people. But it turns out that our initial estimate was right. Looks like it might be just a bunch of teenagers who tried to make a bunch of money on Bitcoin. They ended up making about 130K, which um, considering that they compromised 130 of the most popular accounts on Twitter, just seems like underachievement to me. But either way, there's some really cool details that are out here, and we're going to get into forensics and all kinds of other stuff on the show. So go read this link to this article from Wired. A lot of cool information about how they track these guys down. Yeah, and, and just a, a real quick uh, one. I know it's been a while since you've been a teenager, Kyle, but uh, if I gave you 130K as a teenager, you might not think that's a little bit of money. John, I have a 17-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old daughter. It has been a long time since I have not had a teenager. And uh, yeah, they would be ecstatic to have received that much money. <laughs> yes, exactly. And oh, oh, the real hope is that we all learn from this because uh, 130, I think we can all argue, is probably the basement of, of how bad this could have gotten. Oh, yeah. Oh, There's absolutely. only one way to go, yeah. and that's up. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Kyle, thanks so much for that, uh, that recap of uh, the update from the Twitter hack. Um, and so, uh, Fish, we have you on this episode for a, a bunch of different reasons, but one of the really interesting things is this is the first time where we've had the hosts and the guests all kind of line up so similarly. So uh, mm. all four of us currently working in the security sphere, and all four of us uh, got a start in Route Switch. So we, we met a little over 10 years ago yeah. uh, when I was studying for my CCIE and, uh, you know, you were doing all the amazingness in, in the route switch uh, realm. So can you talk to us a little bit about your journey from uh, route switch rock star into the security realm? And Because I think there's an awful lot of the people listening to this podcast that are either considering doing that or, or in the beginnings of their transition. Um, and, and just kind of talk us through your thoughts of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started off uh, pretty much in, well, except for IBM. When I started at Cisco back in 1996, um, I got my CCIE route switch. I uh, did a lot of mainframe stuff actually also at the time. So a little while later when I found out that they actually had another CCIE and you got a plaque for it, 
I figured, what the heck, go for my CCIE uh, SNIP. <laughs> um, and I also have my CCDE. None of those are actually security related. Um, I love networking. I love route switch and really have been doing it for many, many years. And I know that I say I'm not security. At the same time, um, since I also do, and I'm very familiar with MPLS and VPNs, that is still segmentation, right? So there are still a lot of the same things over in the security world. You're going to call it things like air gapping, or you're going to call it zones or whatever. But even when you're designing MPLS VPN, you're still trying to make sure that VPN one doesn't talk to VPN two. You're still going to have firewalls. You're still going to have IPSs and IDSs. So I don't think that it's like very many people in the networking world are oblivious to um, security and segmentation, if that makes sense. But I would say what really happened was I kid that I love troubleshooting. I absolutely adore troubleshooting. And um, I actually got into a product that Cisco had and uh, fell in love with it called StealthWatch. I put it into a playground network that I had at work actually our CPOC lab environment, CPOC is customer proof of concept labs. And it told me all these things like these PCs were still having this fog image that I didn't even realize was like still on there. And so, and it just like, I didn't leave work until two o'clock in the morning that night because there was just so much cool stuff and visibility. And so I know we call it security, but that's really what I, what happened was I fell in love with um, having that knowledge of what's really going on in the network. You know, they say knowledge is power. And that's how I really got into security because I felt like the more we knew, um, the more we could have a better network, um, a more efficient network and a more secure network. So I've moved from being a route switch networking expert to in my opinion, a expert and someone passionate about securing our network or having a secured network um, is really, so I don't think that, I think they live hand in hand. So I fell in love with StealthWatch um, and then I've now started to fall in love with SecureX, but um, StealthWatch is what brought me into everything. And actually, just as a as a quick aside, which a lot of people don't know, Cisco sells uh, StealthWatch as a security product. But really, when Landcope originally developed it, it was a tool to let you know what's going on in your network. Um, so I tell people that StealthWatch is like a camera in a bank. It sees everything. People just happen to call it a security camera. But that's just because of how it's used. But yeah, I love I love security, and um, I'm very passionate about it now. Awesome, yeah, and and that, I think I had the same kind of takeaway. Uh, my my experience was a little bit similar, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later. But I loved your analogy of the the quote security camera because it depends who's using the camera, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you if you were a uh, efficiency or design expert, you would use that camera, and you'd uh, you'd do some AI around heat trends and things like that. And you probably uh, remap the way that you flow people in and out of the building uh, and, and tweaking everything towards 
getting after efficiency, right? Maybe not necessarily looking for people putting their hands in the in in the uh, money drawers. Yeah. Uh, but but Rich, I, I can feel your leg twitching over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you, uh, Fish and John. It's like when you when I'll just say technology professionals get involved um, in, in really passionately working on whatever space they're in. I feel like just naturally the security aspect comes out because you're as you're troubleshooting, you're constantly thinking, hey, did I make a change internally or did something somebody else did that may or may have not been authorized to make that change make it and then you just dive that rabbit hole so fish's analogy of just troubleshooting you know we john and i taught um you know technology uh in the service from a route switch perspective and we would always talk to folks like the first thing you have to do to build a secure network is actually know your network right Mm -hmm. so like all these tools now that are out there um uh, and and uh, I think where John was <laughs> talking about me twitching a little bit or having like restless leg syndrome is, uh, you know, we'll always tell folks like, hey, um, do you do you turn on logging and do you mm-hmm. put that logging anywhere so that you can gain visibility into your network? And, and I think most people get surprised when you ask that question, at least ones that aren't, um, you know, in companies or organizations that are mature from like a visibility, I wouldn't even say security, just a visibility of their technology ecosystem perspective. So um, I guess I'll bring it all the way back to like knowing your equipment string, mapping your network, turning on logs, like looking at them and trying to make meaning out of your network. Now in today's days is so in my mind, like um, the tools that allow you to do that are ubiquitous. So the things you were talking about fish, like with security X or with stealth watch, like they're just phenomenal tools that, allow you as a professional to actually gain visibility and then make meaning out of things going on in your technology stack. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I just coming up, um, in today's day and age, um, if I was a newbie, I would just be enamored with all of the tools that are available and, and probably to be honest with you kind of stall a little bit, trying to figure out which tools I want to use to start with. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think for me, you know, there was the whole troubleshooting thing. And then I did those uh, courses for like a, a network detectives thing. What I realized was, is that we as people who are troubleshooting our environments are a lot like true detectives. Um, I admit that I, I found on Google, it was like they gather the facts, they collect the clues, they follow, follow the evidence, they interview the witnesses, and then they interrogate the suspects was the exact term that I found. I was like, let's do that as question the suspects. And then, <laughs> um, but, you know, and that's, and that's what we do. And so, of course, knowledge and knowing what's going on in the network, um, like real detectives who use like fingerprinting and DNA and all these other things. Um, it's, it's, it's just having these tools. And as John was saying, you have these visibility tools and it's what you do, you know, to be aware of them. But that gets back to like IPSs, right? Intrusion prevention. Uh, you know, you had to know what the signature was. So first you had to have knowledge that some signature was bad. So then you prevent it, right? Or detection. First you have to have knowledge. So knowledge is key, right? You have to have the knowledge of what you think is good or bad, or as um, uh, John and I were talking one time, uh, you know, a known bad um, or, or a known unknown, you know, um, like with Stealth Watch, there's, yeah, you know that the people who are over um, doing the HVAC or in guest wireless are not supposed to be over in 
uh, you know, the employee space. Uh, that's that's known bad, right? Um, but then there's just suspicious, right? So what's suspicious? And uh, well, sending a whole bunch of traffic outside of your uploading a whole bunch of traffic from your computer out of the Cisco network would be potentially suspicious. That's, you know, I would assume it's so-so in the military as well. You know, that's potentially uh, data exfiltration. You know, so then you can start looking at suspicious things because before you ever have a day one attack, you know, you're going to have new anomalies, things that just are kind of sort of like, yeah, you know what, that's not quite right. And that's, there's, there's clues in there. There's facts in there. There's ways that you can secure the network if you follow those through to the logical end. Yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing is kind of like bringing it back to even even your first statement about like, yeah, I, I do route switch, but you kind of like security is always part of that. You know, you, you can spend literally as much money as you would like to uh, buying an IPS. And the fact of the matter is if, if you do a poor job uh, engineering it into your network, or to Rich's point, a poor job actually looking at the logs or tweaking the signatures. Um, it you know you can't spend enough money to not have to worry about it, um, and and that is definitely uh, one one of the more fun parts about kind of learning and digging into this stuff is is finding out what people have done here, and then kind of the you know, the network detective of reading between the lines because the book isn't going to be the thing that's going to tell you the thing you're going to look for. It's gonna it's going to take a lot of you know. Uh, interviewing bad witnesses and, you know, making sure you're doing the lab work and figuring out how the lab is doing the checks, uh, a a lot, a lot of that stuff. Um, And you you also mentioned about, uh, you know, configuring ACLs and uh, VACLs and VLAN ACLs. It's kind of funny because that's that's where Kyle and I first met is uh, going through and configuring VLAN ACLs on switches uh, for the CCNP uh, switch (laughs) boards. So it, it was in also, you know, not all that long ago is Kyle, is this roughly what uh, the type of stuff that got you into it or got you from to, to want to transition into security or was your journey a little different? No, I, I think that was a big part of it, right? I wanted to know how it all worked. And I think that was a, a big piece of it for me. Like, you know, we talk about security in general across whatever you want to call it, right? But at the end of the day, it comes down to like, are you sniffing the packets correctly? Are you disassembling it? Are you able to read what's going on? And then, you know, if you run Wireshark, you will have way more information than you ever need to make your decision about what's happening on a particular segment of a network. And that piece of it was kind of what I wanted to do is, is figure out how all this crazy stuff called the internet worked and then figure out how, uh, you're going to actually use that information. And Fish, I really like the metaphor of the security camera because I think there's a a lot of nuance that we can pull out of that where I think in security, we spend half of our time trying to decide if we need a better camera Mm -hmm. or if we need to do better with the information that the camera is giving us, right? And you can have the world's most kick-ass, badass camera in the world, but if you're pointing it at the water fountain and not the front door, it's not going to help you a whole lot make intelligent decisions. And I think that we get into this choice paralysis mode of thinking we always just need a better camera when the reality is if you had some, you know, really crappy, you know, 144p black and white camera, but it's pointed at the front door and it's zoomed in appropriately, you can do a whole lot of damage in a positive way. I guess you can do a whole lot of, uh, you know, investigation and determination of what's happening as long as you just dot your I's and cross your T's and know what you're doing with the information. And then if you decide to get a better camera later or point it in a different direction, you just you take those skills with you to how you can interpret the information that you're getting. I couldn't agree more. That's, that's a great, uh, that's a great analogy. 
And you also have to know what's 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 normal, right? You know, we we kid and route switch what's normal, and that's also the case in security. What I would tell people is, it's like, look, you know, if you get on on the crime scene of like security or whatever, you get on a crime scene, and you know the Mona Lisa, you walk in, and you know the Mona Lisa is missing, and you don't realize <laughs> that the Mona Lisa is actually locked up. It's actually locked up downstairs at nighttime. You know, so nothing actually happened. You have to have knowledge. So you have to have the camera and you have to have knowledge and you can have exactly what you're saying. You can have that black and white camera, right? Um, but you also have to have, got to have knowledge. You got to have knowledge of what's going on. You got to have knowledge of what's normal. Um, it's amazing to me how many people don't have baselines and they think they're being attacked or something like that, yep. but they don't realize that some P PC has been there, you know, for just... I love it when people tell me that they they'll put stealth watch uh, stealth watch is just it's just um it's a uh think of it as splunk on steroids that's the easiest way for me to explain it to people is um splunk will tell you everything that's going on in your network you can go ahead and you can come up with a query right um so with splunk you have all of the logs you have all of the netflow or whatever it is you're collecting it's just that you have to come up with the question to ask Splunk saying, have you seen this? And so Splunk is a camera, right? Um, you just have to know what you're asking to see. And then there are other things out there, not just Cisco things, but other things that can start telling you um, proactively, this is a little strange, right? Like over here, this is a little strange. Um, I, I kiddingly refer to traffic analytics and I call it traffic analytics, even though it's supposed to be called, I guess, security analytics, but whatever, it's like camera versus security camera. It's how you use it. But, you know, if you, I, I, there's this one example that I love, and that is that it's, we know that it's probably uncommon for my laptop to be sending a five gig file to John's laptop and to Kyle's laptop and to Rich's laptop, right? That's probably a little unusual. It's a little strange. Um, and so, well, to be honest, and I'm not, I can't, I'm not completely, that was actually uh, found with StealthWatch. Somebody was, I'm so sorry, somebody was selling porn at work. So- <laughs> I, I'm just um, gonna were, say, I'm, I'm were, imagining like the days of Napster and I'm just yeah. downloading the latest copy of the Matrix, yeah. you know, bootleg from you. Yeah, and, they, and so they were doing, and they were doing that with uh, with work, uh, you know, equipment or Bitcoining or whatever. So you you can you can start doing what you would even call in in uh, like detective trader, detective world profiling, right? On uh, knowing what's within normal and then figuring out what is uh, an anomaly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> Number one, I would imagine it would be frowned on in the civilian world uh, to be uh, selling from your work computer. Uh, I, d I know definitely. There's some article in, in somewhere. Yeah, everyone got everyone. Yeah, everyone got fired. Yeah, trust me. Yeah. It wasn't at Cisco. They were actually using yeah. StealthWatch, and people were actually kidding after they see and and again any traffic analytics, security analytics tool, not just one by Cisco. Um, anything that's going to tell you what's really going on in your network is. Um, is going to be huge in in figuring that out because knowledge is power and understanding what's going on there is is the first thing. You can't secure what you can't see. Yeah, 
Exactly. And and the other, I think the two hardest things for, for me to get across, uh, because, you know, the military is pretty rigid and, you know, we, we like to very clearly segment what job it is that mm. people do uh, and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, one, one of the most or two of the most difficult things for me were uh, getting people to believe that just because the book said it, it wasn't necessarily mm. true. I mean, like, you know, sorry, like bo- books are written by human beings and human beings make mistakes. Um, so it, it's kind of difficult to convince people like, hey, j- just because the book says it works like this, not really how it works. Um, and then the other thing was convincing people to let me use Wireshark uh, because, you know, in, in the in the roles I was at where they, they didn't want to let me use it, um, they were like, hey, Wireshark is a, is a security person tool. That That's not your job. Uh, yeah. Denied. Um, and, you know, it do- maybe it's not necessarily as obvious to other people that tools don't just fit in in pretty little boxes or if you put them in pretty little boxes you, you might be missing some some pretty significant value uh, but but again it just all goes back to fish what you were saying about knowing your network and I, I think that I you didn't say the the word exactly but kind of baselining oh, yeah. um, and, and hopefully you have a tool that doesn't make baselining so incredibly uh, painful because I know that's that's one of the things of like manually tweaking baselines and you know just l- looking at how many hours we have in the day for humans to do work like there's 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 but so much John, that we can do. John, I want to also add one thing because you mentioned two things there that I want to double click on. First is that just because it's not on the book doesn't mean that you can't be right, right? And it, anytime that I get to channel Rich's knife hand and do a Mattis quote and say stuff like doctrine's the last refuge of the unimaginative, it really comes down to it, right? <laughs> like the book is your starting point. If you can go above and beyond the book or challenge the book, you should do so. And second, as a former chief foreign officer, the thought of my any major that I've ever met in my life having access and running Wireshark, like I'm literally sort of nervous even saying those words out loud right now. And it kind of makes me twitchy. Knowing you, you're an anomaly to this. Obviously, you are different from baseline. Just throwing that out there as keeping everything relevant. But yeah, I, I I can't imagine any other Marine thinking that having, you know, a major having Wireshark is a great idea. And we got to dispel that myth, man. John, I think he just said you're not normal. Just I'm just saying I'm just I think you were called not normal. I get that yeah. on a regular basis. Yeah. It, it, it's normally followed by, could you John, please stop? John, but. you're not normal. Yeah, so speaking speaking from somebody who, just, who works with, who has worked with John, I think uh, the most recently, um, I'll confirm that he's not normal. I'll just <laughs> that, I guess. <laughs> but I did want to, I did, there was just a couple uh, points that I, I wanted to kind of call because you guys hit on some really good points. And I think there's kind of three things um, that I think our audience would kind of benefit from, right? The first one is, you know, we talked, we were using the analogy of, of different types of cameras and their you know capabilities. And I kind of just want to call that out, right? Like a lot of security professionals or technology professionals, and rightfully so, they get excited about new capabilities, right? Like new tech, new capabilities. Um, we're generally excited about it. But, uh, you know, in the, on the military side of things, we, especially in the Marine Corps, don't necessarily get the best capabilities out of the gate. I'm just going to say uh, sometimes we take hand-me-downs from other services, <laughs> which is okay. We're kind of known for being one of those services that do more with less. Um, and then to, to Fish's point and, and Kyle's point, you guys had mentioned, you know, like having the basic performance-based skills to do the investigatory work, right? Whether you're a security professional or not, um, I think, you know, balancing capabilities and new tech with, just being wickedly proficient at whatever your job role is. Yeah. Um, you can kind of tend to offset one or the other. Sometimes capability will give you, you know, a, a leading edge, you know, from a tool set perspective, because you might not be 
uh, you know, a CCIE or, or just like wickedly professional at, at, at your skill set. Um, but then again, you could also be the CCIE just using like wickedly outdated and old tools because that's the situation you're in. And you're also like establishing a good security posture. So I think it's it's uh, just kind of a, a, um, a cool way to kind of like look at the um, security landscape from those lenses, capability versus like skill sets, right? And, and your performance-based skills. Because the military is all about, you know, training and getting reps and sets, uh, you know, in your job role. Um, so I just thought it's, it's kind of interesting as y'all were talking about, um, you know, tech versus uh, performance-based skills. And then, and the last thing I kind of kind of wanted to mention along those lines is, uh, and I think um, Fish nailed it right at the beginning um, when John asked the question, you know, how did you get into, into security? Um, there's just this like mindset in like, like want and yearning for learning and, mm-hmm. you know, um, problem solving that I think is what kind of takes, it takes that type of professional to be really good at, at this analysis work that we'll probably jump into talking about soon. Mm-hmm. But, um, like one of the things I found in my, in my job is you really couldn't replace what I'll call quote security mindset, unquote, people just naturally, whether they wanted to tinker and hack with things in a positive way from a white, a white hat perspective, or they just had this like curiosity for like, um, trying to solve problems. So I think when you like balance those three things out, capability plus performance-based skills or training, and then this like mindset for, um, you know, either being curious or just like having a, a good security mindset. I think, I think like, you know, if you're a listener out there, I would say those three things, like how you balance them. And when you look at yourself in the mirror, how you actually like stack up from that perspective is, is a good way to, to look at things. I don't know what your guys' thoughts are on that. I think that in general, the skills that you need to be a good networking person, whatever you want to describe that at requires you to have run up against every type of roadblock you could possibly think of and requires you to be able to like figure stuff out in a manner that is just to your point, rich reps and sets, right? Like you've just, you've seen so many boneheaded things and seen so many problems that you've had to fix that it just in my experience and you know, it's, it's not super long, but like every person with a networking background has been generally better than people without networking backgrounds at troubleshooting and at fixing things. And when you're talking about security, like I I've probably would say I got into security most because there was no one around who knew security and the networking people tend to know more than anybody else about how those things actually work. And so you just default into either helping the people a lot who do security and you just learn by osmosis, or you're the only one with the requisite understanding of how packets move across the network. And so, you know, ominous dominus, you are the security person now. Yeah. Yeah. I also think too, uh, Kyle, um, you know, when, you know, I, I talk about like, the, you know, those three things, right. And, and from a security perspective, I think if, if you're, if you're taking a systematic approach to both design and troubleshooting and by systematic, I just mean mm-hmm. like you're looking at a system of components that all have the potential to fail either gracefully or ungracefully. Right. And, and you're looking at troubleshooting from a system analysis perspective I think that's one of the reasons to your point that like networking professionals, they just have to look at things in that way. I don't know too many networking professionals are like, I only got to manage this one switch Mm -hmm. or this one router. Right. So I I think you're right. I think, you know, that networking folks, because they do systems analysis at scale, uh, a lot of times, like they just generally tend to, to have that mindset. Yep. 
I think also because we're taking care of so many routers and switches and boxes and everything like that, uh, a lot of us are, at least I know I'm a control freak, and I don't want everyone getting into my boxes. So, you know, I, I worked I worked hard on configuring those things. So I start thinking about the security and how people could access things or how people could th change things. Um, and then how could I change them back? So then it starts getting into logs. And it just kind of sort of progressed me into the security world of like, you know, making sure that if somebody went into something and changed something, I could see that they changed it. Um, and I could then quickly change it back because it always start. It started originally for me as to trying to get back to normal quickly, and then also trying to be alerted very quickly. And then it just kind of sort of brought me deeper and deeper into security. I know that um, when the Stealth Watch world kind of brought me into uh, the security world at Cisco, and you know, I know that I say that I wasn't security before, but I think it's pretty much impossible to. Um, to say that, since even routers can do, can be firewalls. Uh, I mean, I've done so much security also in my time. So when I say that I wasn't a security person before, what I really mean by that is the, the knowledge that I didn't have. I mean, obviously I could do DMVPN and stuff like that. And that's usually, you know, um, there's usually IPsec and things like that that are taking care of that. So I knew that. The world that I really honestly didn't know, because um, I wasn't an end user thing or on the end PCs, was all of the different things and exploits that end PCs could do, if that makes sense. That was really huge to me. I mean, there was so much that I learned by teaming up with the people who knew all of that very specific detail. Didn't even, I'm going to, I'm just going to out myself on this. It didn't even occur to me that I was like, what do you mean somebody could like hijack? Like, no, that's, you know, UDP 43 is that's, you know, <laughs> what do you mean you can, you can actually send a file transfer over something that's not, oh, wow, I didn't even think about that before, right? So to have the knowledge, so to team up with security people and get the knowledge from them as to what are the most recent exploits, what are ways that people can get around things and then start having that awareness, you can, if we team together better, uh, I know this sounds really like kumbaya, let's hold hands, but, you know, we can, we can secure the network better if we take the best of both worlds and really work together. Fish, you mentioned learning knowledge about like the ways that things can be done from a, from a bad actor perspective. Like I vividly remember the first time I found out that you could do something like run Telnet not on the default Telnet port. And it's important <laughs> that all of our listeners understand that like these rules that we put in place around ports they're, they're just like ideas that we've all agreed to. Uh -huh. There's no enforcement of any of this, right? Like you can do anything on any port you want. And this is just scratching the very surface of this giant iceberg uh -huh. of the weird and crazy stuff that you can use to attack anything. Yep. Yeah, but Kyle, I, I blocked that port on the firewall. So let's not <laughs> right. worry about Done. that. Right, done, done, check, next rule. <laughs> yes. Not, hold on, ready? Yeah. Not vulnerable to that firewall yeah. rule for it. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Mitigated. G Done. Going home. <laughs> yeah. So hey, that's I think we're actually at a good place here where where we can kind of transition. So so Fish has kind of alluded to it a couple times, uh, but I, I would like to talk about the concept of traffic analytics. Yeah. So Fish will intro to this for us, but to, to give everybody a, a quick background or or some uh, 
some side information to understand the con- the context of what she's about to talk about. So rough general idea of security is you settle on some sort of architecture. And you all heard from our previous episode when we talked about zero trust, like that's one type of architecture, right? Or your traditional kind of like, you know, uh, very hard exterior and, and, and soft interior. You know, you build a bunch of defenses like firewalls and IPSs and routers with ACLs and all that kind of stuff like that. And you protect from the outside world and you, you look at the inside world and, and you have all these different uh, devices that you've architected around, you have them all log, you take all those logs and you dump them into some sort of seam, you run analytics on your seam on the logs from your security devices, and and that's give or take, uh, security devices and end, end user devices, domain controllers, that kind of stuff. And that's generally your, your rough rule of like what security looks like. So essentially like a, a bunch of purpose-built devices, they log, you dump them into a central location, and, and then you build intelligence or fish alluded to like writing queries in Splunk or you know queries in your seam to look for different things. Or you can stack if I see a, this IPS thing here and then and a, this host event here and a strange uh, proxy uh proxy request over there, then you know this this is the issue, right? And, and that's generally how security has been built around. Uh, but Fish introduced uh, to me uh, this concept called traffic analytics that is is a, I would add, argue as a augment or a build on to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Fish, if you could intro that for us and then let me let me know if you think you, you agree it's a built on or, or have we just been doing things wrong and you're supposed to do it this way all along? No, no, I, it's an augmenter. Um, and I know, John, you and I love Wireshark. Right. And so it's a, it's a major passion we have in common, uh, you know, because the wire never lies. Right. If you're, if you're doing Wireshark and you tap in someplace, you know what's really going on in the network. And sometimes that's really important to know what's really going on in the network. And, you know, we have all these syslogs and everything and we have all this stuff. And for years we've had um, SFlow and JFlow, which is Juniper's flow, I think, and then uh, NetFlow. And so what basically happened was the first traffic analytics that I was aware of, um, I have to say, was probably um, was probably the StealthWatch one, which was which was Landcope. But um, even before that, you know, people were looking at traffic analytics and not making it security analytics. And by that, what I mean is even pulling physical interfaces, right? That's traffic analytics. That's understanding what's going on. This interface is at 60%. This interface is at 30%. Or what your CPU is, right? Um, things like that. That is that is knowledge. That is an awareness that gets into a lot of the NMS. Um, what is happening now is that you can have awareness. So StealthWatch was the first concept of, tra- like I said, first concept of traffic analytics that I had come across. Um, well, I guess Splunk as well. My, 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 the reason why I, I don't necessarily call Splunk as much traffic analytics is because it gathers everything up, but then you still have to come up with the query. So you have to know how to describe the needle in the haystack that you're looking for. Um, traffic analytics, and I know that Cisco and other people call it security analytics, and I'll be completely honest about that. I think security sells because security causes fear for people to say that you have to have a security analytics tool. 
Um, to me, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, to me, it's like, and it's a different budget. Line. Yes, and that, and that's a very interesting thing which I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. The networking team. So I didn't realize that until I got into Stealth Watch. So. Um, that there's the networking team that buys certain things. Um, and I think that was what Stealth Watch was originally positioned for. But um, then there's the security budget. And sometimes people are spending more money in the security budget. So then there's spend. But anyway, to me, again, it's like the camera in a bank. It sees everything. People call it a security camera. Um, so traffic analytics is really actually knowing um, what is going on in the network and actually also like rogue DNS. So like for those people who are not, you know, into a lot of the different things, like we were just talking about ports and things like that. When you go to www.google.com, right, inside of your network, first you have to resolve that name, google.com, to an IP address. And so you do that by going to a domain name server who will take the name google.com and give you an IP address. Um, if you have what is called a rogue DNS, a DNS that is not under your control, they could bring you to whatever IP address they want to bring you to. So if you, so even that traffic analytics, like with a lot of traffic analytics tools, you can be like, okay, tell me everyone that I'm going to on port uh, 53, that is typically um, DNS queries and, and who's responding. And out of those, tell me who is not on my list of approved DNS servers. Okay. Um, and so from that, you can, can, you can figure out whether or not you have rogue DNS, even if you don't buy something like umbrella or something like that, that tries to work that stuff out. So it's just about understanding, gathering the traffic together, and it doesn't have to be NetFlow, JFlow, SFlow, right? Um, you can actually like stealth watch in the cloud actually uses the uh like aws or gcp the google stuff and and their staffic we can actually ingest other um logs and things like that and pull it all together and tell you what we're seeing and even figure out what is an anomaly now Again, even though I work for Cisco, lots of other companies have products as well. We have products that then, you know, tie up with Cisco's Talos um, because I, I love the fact that it's like, you know, if you have some bad, like, you know, we know what the Tor relays are because you can start figuring out what the Tor relays are, right? So is it kind of suspicious if you're going to a Tor relay site? Yeah, maybe so, you know? Um, is it suspicious if you're from your work computer, yeah, from your work computer, right? Um, is it suspicious if you're going to a Bitcoin site? That's a known Bitcoin site. Yeah. Kind of so, you know, <laughs> um, so, so you can take knowledge. Um, these are the Tor relays. These are, you know, Bitcoin sites. These are the ports that are typically used for, you know, you were kidding about Napster. These, you know, you can look at that and then you can just kind of sort of filter through and look at your traffic and the traffic analytics and figure out whether or not you have any weird stuff going on. Um, uh, like I said, data exfiltration, which is taking a lot of data and sending it out. 
um, or you're actually doing internal hoarding. So again, it would be very strange for me with my laptop to be sucking down tons of files, tons of, 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 of um, files from internal servers within Cisco. That would be a little strange. I don't usually, that doesn't usually go in that direction. So you can start figuring out and with traffic analytics tools, and again, not just Cisco's, you can start saying before you get another day, day one attack, right? It's, and I, what I call it is, I call when you hit day one, when you infect a PC, right? When you infect a PC, if you already knew, and this gets back to the baseline, John, that you were talking about before, right? If you already knew what is normal, Right, then you can, can you can figure out based on looking at the traffics and the traffic analytics when something turns. To me, when a PC gets infected, right, and it has now become part of the attack, you have turned from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. Right, because your behavior, how that device acts, is now going to change. And knowing your that's that's when you're you're what you you know about twenty minutes ago when you said the most important thing is about you knowing your network that's what's really important yes. too because uh, you know we have some abnormal things that are somewhat normal like you know monthly updates or things like that uh, so you know knowing your network is is something that's going to really help that and I, I'm sure uh, the traffic analytic tool that you choose will will have some sort of intelligence to help you with that. But if, if we can back it up just yeah. one second, because you know so, some of our audience might not know some of the more technical things. So you mentioned polling and you mentioned your different flow technologies. Let's just center around NetFlow and, and say that sure. the other flow technologies would be similar to that. Um, and then I know our audience is going to be very familiar with with PCAP or, or span traffic or something like that, right? Can you give us a quick architecture idea of absolutely why you would have each of those different things and how you actually get that into a traffic analytics device? Yeah, let me, um, so the analogy I actually use is let's say that, uh, John, guess what? You get to be a switch. Cool, huh? Kyle, you're next in loving it. Kyle, you get to be a firewall. Woohoo. Rich, you get to be a router. Okay. Oh, snap. I'm so sorry. So off John. So it's basically, uh, we're going to go in alphabetical order. So that's J K R. Uh, so there's a PC John that's connected to you. You're a switch. Okay. I didn't. And then there's a PC that's connected off of rich. So there's a PC off of John that wants to go ahead and talk to a PC off of rich. Now, they're both in the same environment. They're both supposedly employees. They're both supposedly allowed to talk to each other. So Kyle has no reason why he's supposed to block that traffic. What we don't realize is that the PC off of John is belongs to a user that's about to leave Cisco, let's say, and go to a competitor. And the PC off of Rich is, you know, secured information. So we don't realize that at the same time, John, you've been configured, no vacuoles, no rules, that PC should be able to go. What we basically do by doing something like NetFlow is I basically deputize all three of you, which is kind of cool because all I asked you to do is be confidential informants because if traffic goes 
from that one PC to the other PC. John, you saw it. Kyle, as a firewall, you saw it. Rich, as a router, you saw it. We don't have to upgrade your code. We don't have to change anything. All we have to do is just tap you on the shoulder, configure you to go ahead and give some net flow sampling, some flow sampling and say, and then, and then John, you would actually go tell somebody, basically you're going to be tattletales, okay? Confidential informant spies, whatever you want to say. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to tell and you're going to report and you're going to send me at a certain IP address. The fact that you saw PCA go through you and then talk to PCB. So that's what I kid about is that, um, you know, the traffic analytics can kind of sort of be like Sherlock Holmes and his Baker Street boys, where you just tap them on the shoulders. They see everything that's happening on the streets and then they just report in. And then I can go ahead and look at that and realize because you just you're just supposed to be passing traffic. Right. That's all you're supposed to do. And Kyle, while you're while you're a firewall, no one ever said that what's happening is bad. And we don't want to put more rules on you all. We just want to be able to have you all, you know, be confidential informants and tell us what you're passing. What traffic are you passing? What ports? How many bytes? You know, things like that. And then you're going to go ahead and you're going to send that in. And that also is what Splunk does, by the way. You would also send that to an IP address of Splunk. Or again, um, other companies have traffic analytics tools as well. Uh, with us, it would be something like StealthWatch. And, um, and then we're going to go ahead and we would have what is called a NetFlow collector, even though it's more than just NetFlow that we collect, just to let you know. So we call it a flow collector. Um, and then we... Uh, Cisco uh, would then have the, uh, I call it the Sherlock Holmes. So I kid that every everyone needs a good network detective. And so they look at it and they do exactly what Sherlock Holmes does when he like looks at somebody and he says, you know, he sees egg on their foot or he sees someone's shoe that, you know, isn't buffed that day. They're like, your wife is at home right now because, you know, normally you'd have these buffed or whatever, you know, and he makes all of the things, pieces it all together. So we take all that traffic analytics, and then if you put a brain with that traffic analytics, then you can start piecing things together and looking at normal versus not normal versus anomalies, if you know what baseline is. All right. So I just want to call out that Fish just explained NetFlow better than any course I've ever <laughs> seen in my life and did it in like two and a half minutes. And I got to be a firewall. <laughs> Today is awesome. She also called you a tattletale. Just yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, confidential. I'll own that. Confidential yeah, informant. Denial. Confidential denial. informant. Confidential informant. Okay, that, that's that's awesome, and and thank you so much for that explanation. I think that was really good. So we we talked a little bit earlier about kind of the the known knowns for, versus the mm -hmm. you know known unknowns, um, and so you know in in the analogy as as a switch, I'm I'm not blocking anything. You know, I'm I'm full speed just wire rate, let it all go. Right. Um, and Kyle is blocking the stuff we specifically know should or should not be allowed. Now, how you kind of decide to to do your file, firewall policies, I would imagine you kind of just go with a concept where if, if it is a port or protocol that we need to have, we put it on there and you just by definition deny everything else. 
Um, that's generally how Kyle is going to work. Mm-hmm. So if we, for like he mentioned earlier, if we were going to allow SSH, but we decide to start sending Telnet over the SSH ports, that's not something Kyle as a firewall would necessarily find. Um, and so, you know, he's he's been told to allow the things he allows and deny everything else. And that's probably about where we're at. And Rich as a router is going to be even less uh, you know, define than that. He's at, at best probably just going to say, you know, don't don't allow these subnets or allow only these subnets. May, maybe get to support levels, but that's probably about going to be it. So, how is how is something like a traffic analytics device going to be able to find things it wasn't specifically configured to not allow? Well, like, how does that work? Yeah. So it's not that we. So I do kid with StealthWatch. That is as StealthWatch is because people assume that since Cisco sells it as a security tool that we will, um, you know, go force things and block them or whatever. So I do admittedly kid that um, to the best of my knowledge, Sherlock Holmes never actually arrested anybody, right? But he was the father of forensic science and he would team up with um, the people that would make the arrest. So we can obviously team up with things like ICE or things like that and push quarantines. But um, back to your question, for those of you who know what a terminal server is, right? So say a terminal server was hanging off of John. Is it common that a terminal server would send tons of large files? No. No. Right. So what you can start doing is you can start thinking about things that we wouldn't we can't have you as a switch and a firewall and a router be doing your primary thing, which is passing traffic as quickly as possible, right? And also trying to keep track of, well, you know, how many megabytes did it send? How many gigabytes? You know, terminal server wants to talk to somebody else. If they're allowed to talk to it, then they're allowed to talk to it. But it would be very suspicious if in the traffic pattern, you found that terminal servers were having large file transfers. So you can start to look at your environment and you can start thinking to yourself, you know, well, okay, um, you know, UDP 53 should only be going to my, um, my approved UDP servers. And, um, and UDP 53 should not be large file transfers. No one should be actually inside of that. We can't put that as a rule on you or John or Rich, I mean, or, or Kyle or Rich. How do you do that? How do you say if they reach this certain thing? I mean, you're, you're trying to just pass traffic. Um, but you could. Yeah, even, even if they could do that, you would end up, because most of the time, those, those would be, if it was a big file, would be fragmented over a bunch of packets. Absolutely. So Kyle, as the firewall, would have to receive all of them, mm-hmm. put it together, and, and make a determination call of, oh, th- this is okay, or oh, it's not. And that's a bunch of buffering, which as the user is you sitting here waiting as your browser's mm-hmm. locked up while, mm-hmm. while Kyle makes a decision on something that he's not really uh, you know, supposed to be making yeah, decisions. Let's on. be real. I'm not working that hard. <laughs> exactly. I, you want to make that hard work. Right, and right. I, what I liked very much about, um, and again, I only know StealthWatch. I mean, I know a, a number of our other competitors as well. But the interesting thing about traffic analytic tools is that um, a friend of mine at Cisco was actually at one of the security conferences. And the person said, well, how do I get around your tool? 
And the interesting thing is, is that if, if all three of you are being tattletales and you're being confidential informants, then you're going to tell me everything that's happening that you all see, that you're passing. So the fact that the traffic is passing is going to be hard to be hidden. And I think, again, not just Cisco tools, but, but all of the traffic analytics tools um, that all of the companies make. Now, admittedly, what Cisco is doing is they're doing something that is, um, I, I think, relatively smart, um, calculating, smart, pretty intelligent. Um, <laughs> we're giving away um, this product called SecureX. It's brand new. Um, and, you know, there's a few things I, I don't necessarily love about it. But I think a lot of other companies are doing this as well. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to piece together like, um, like SecureX would be like a dashboard um, so that you can actually use that as a, and I hate using this term, a single pane of glass, although there's never a single pane of glass. It's like the universal remote for your TV. Um, but, you know, you can go ahead and you can get in there and you can see your traffic analytics and you can more quickly do something about it at the same time. So it would be like Sherlock Holmes and the guy from, you know, Scotland Yard actually out, about, out and about at the same time. But, um, but getting back, yeah, but getting back to traffic analytics, that's what it does the best. Just like what Kyle's supposed to do is keep firewalls going, John, what you're supposed to do is just switch packets. And Rich, you know, you're supposed to be a router and you're supposed to do what you do best. And then the traffic analytics is just, again, taking all the confidential informants and seeing everything and a, not to go back or harp on that camera analogy again um, in the bank. But if you had all the footage of everything that was happening with a camera in a bank, with a security camera, and if you could start using technology to cross-reference the different security cameras together or do facial recognition or layer things on, then you can start seeing things faster, which then helps us secure the network proactively. Yeah, that, that makes that makes perfect sense to me. Um, what, one, one thing I wanted to challenge you with or, or get, get your insight on. Bring it. Um, so, yeah. So what I just, what I described previously, right, about the whole, you know, security stream and logs and all that kind of stuff like that, uh, relatively simple from a response standpoint, right? Because oh. if an IPS fires on a thing or, or you have, like, you generally know what to do there. You know why the IPS fired on the thing because it, it fired on signature one, yeah. two, three, four and signature one, two, three, four is a certain type of attack. And you know, that was directed at a certain host based on the, the logs that you pulled from there. And it's pretty easy to respond from that, right? Mm -hmm. um, what you're describing uh, sounds amazing and like some pretty next level stuff. And, and definitely something wickedly interesting to dive into. I can see why you uh, got into it. But what I would also say is how how easy do you think that it would be to operationalize that? Because one of the problems with taking analytics on everything and then uh, saying, hey, we saw an anomaly here, you know, that's outside of the standard, right? You could find anomalies literally for anything. Yeah. Um, and, and then training your team on both how to respond and having the requisite knowledge to even know 
uh, you know, uh, Kyle's machine had a, an above average amount of uh, UDP 53 traffic. Uh, I, I can give you a number of people I'm certain would have to Google to know what that even meant. Um, you know, how, how do you get the enterprise to standardize around response in, in a some in a somewhat unconventional uh, detection scheme? Yeah. And that's, I think, a really good and I'm not going to give you the Cisco answer <laughs> um, because uh, the Cisco answer would probably be yes, SecureX. Um, but I think the answer is, is that that is still to be seen. Because while there is tons of information, it gets back to what I think Kyle said earlier, which is, you know, you can have people arguing about having the best camera. I just need a better camera. But getting back to what is it that you do with the information that that camera is giving you? And is it pointing at the water fountain or is it pointing at the front door? Um, and then you have to still have knowledge that, you know, if someone's going to attack you, they're probably not going to come through the water fountain. They're going to come through the front door. So um, we still have to get people thinking, unfortunately, a little more gray um, because what people are still looking for is they're looking for known bad. You, you, you know, we call it we call it known knowns. Um, I call it known bad. Right. Um, there's there's known bad. Like as you were saying, at the IPS, the signature, um, and then there is an unknown that you don't know is bad yet until it's bad. Like all of our different, you know, the worm, the this, the that, the this. Oh, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't be having all this east-west traffic happening. Yeah, maybe not. So unfortunately, I think that, and that is actually why I love security so much. The cat and mouse game is always upping its ante. So as we build a better mousetrap, people find other ways in. So if we continue to think only black and white of known known and known bad, and we don't start thinking about um, you know, known unknowns and unknowns unknowns and making sure that we realize and accept that there are unknown unknowns, and we have to be looking at that. Um, and it's really hard not to. It's much easier to just go ahead and put your head in the sand. It just is. You know, so many people, when they get stealth watching the network, they're like, when they look at it after a week, they're like, I wish I had never seen this. <laughs> you know, because now it's work. Now it's work. And once I've you know, before. you have to know. No, no, Who knew no easy this? answer on that one, John. I am so sorry, but you knew that before you even asked me the question, sweetie pie. Yes, I know. But, but you know, like it, that is, that's the thing that makes it interesting, right? Like that is the four people who uh, generally do not like to, to sit back and uh, just dream about the accomplishments of 10 years ago. Like we, we want to continually learn and get better. Um, and, and I think you hit on th this is the area where it's like, there aren't easy answers. And, mm -hmm. you know, I felt like there were times on the route switch where we we've hit the way beyond the point of diminishing returns of engineering the network and, and things like that. And it's like, there really wasn't any new problems mm -hmm. to solve. Um, at least for some of the smaller sites, right there, there's nowhere to go there. Um, but, Security is one of those things of like, you've got perfect security tomorrow, today, and there is no guarantee uh, that you'll be good tomorrow or definitely not next week. Um, and, and that all of us kind of point on that. That's the fun of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm having a blast with it. 
Awesome. Well, hey, we are exactly uh, at time here, so wow. I'm going to give everybody a chance to get their uh, their their last words. And so, uh, host Kyle, what do you got? Uh, really quickly, Google Next on air is happening right now. So if you're at all into Google Cloud, there is all kinds of cool information leaking out right now. Uh, it's a nine week event. So tune in. You find me on all the social media platforms at Kyle Moschetto. I'm trying to post as much as I can about it, too. Awesome. Rich. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, I just would like to offer, you know, so we, we do have folks in the service that, you know, are, are in the, uh, the the audience. And I think, um, you know, Fish's point of talking about unknown unknowns, right, that, that's really on your curiosity to, to look at your technology stack and say to yourself, um, you know, what would be if I, if I, I'll use Kyle's phrase from a few episodes ago, if I turn the map around, I think like an attacker or a threat. What are the parts of the of my network that people would want to go to, and, and am I collecting any visibility data mm-hmm. on that? And if if you're not, right, that's a great place to start. Like you know, if you're you know if you're a retail company and you have customer data and you're not collecting uh, you know information about the technology uh, solutions that process that customer data, that would be a great place for you to go look, right? So um, I just think. Um, you know, having that security mindset uh, and that intellectual curiosity is really the thing um, that is the human component of the profession uh, that allows you to figure out, hey, I got all these tools. Uh, which one do I want to pick? Um, it's based upon your curiosity and, and, you know, how do I identify what's in that gray space uh, that Fish talked about? So that's all I got, John. Thanks. Awesome. Fish? I just want to thank you, John, so much. I've known you for years. I think you're awesome. Thank you for inviting me on this. And I would say um, to Rich's point, yeah, just ask yourself, what can I do to help my network? What can I do to help protect it? And I love the idea of, you know, put your black hat on for just a minute and try to figure out, have fun with it. Be creative. What would you do? You know, and then how can you help with that very fun cat and mouse game with trying to get ahead of people and protect your network? And I think it's perfectly fine for you as a major to have Wireshark. I trust you with Wireshark, John. Boo. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. (laughs) It's nice to have somebody on my team. Uh, Fish, Fish, is there any uh, social media that you wanted to plug or uh, maybe that awesome website? I do have a website. It's completely free. I love sharing information to people. Um, It's uh, networkingwithfish.com. And uh, for a lot of people out there who are actually security people, but trying to learn more about uh, networking, I would say that there's a lot of networking stuff there. Uh, especially a BGP tutorial, IPv6, multicast, MPLS, um, probably uh, some of my favorite things. And there will be more um, security stuff coming out soon. Yeah, there's definitely something for everybody Mm -hmm. there. Awesome. So thanks again for coming on the cast. And uh, dear listeners, thanks for joining us. Just a reminder, you can connect with the cast on social media by going to twitter.com slash USMC underscore TF. P-H-O-E-N-I-X. Again, thanks for joining us. And uh, Fish, again, thanks for coming on the cast. Thank you so very much. Thank you.